0: my life looking out this window watching waiting for another sight of him another miracle another glimpse of my god friends i've got good news with god's help this is what we're going to do right now what you just heard john piper talk about and this line is very close to how Jesus' disciples respond to this miracle that we'll look at tonight. All the way towards the end of chapter 6, Jesus says to the 12 disciples, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the holy one of god so let's look out this window together and by god's grace catch another glimpse of his glory and see our god let's go to him now in prayer Father, we pray that you would bless our time tonight. God, we want to behold your glory. God, we pray that as we come to your word, that you would bless our thoughts, you would bless my words, that you would soften our hearts. God, please warm our hearts tonight with the sight of you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, go ahead and flip over to John 6. That's where we'll be tonight. We'll be going through verses 1 through 21, okay? And as you flip there, this is the main point for tonight. So if you're a note taker, it's already in the handout, but you can write it again if you want, and I'm going to tell you the, the main point and all the sub points right now. So the main point for tonight is Jesus is your true king, Come to him and be satisfied forever. Jesus is your true king. Come to him and be satisfied forever. And we'll walk through the passage in three sections, and the three sections will be our three points. So for verses 1 through 13, the first point will be Jesus, the providing king. Jesus, the providing king. And then the next point in verses 14 and 15 will be Jesus, the misinterpreted king. Jesus, the misinterpreted king. And then the last point will be verses 16 through 21, which will be Jesus, the true king. Jesus, the true king. So let's look at the first point in verses 1 through 13, which is Jesus, the providing king. I'll read it right now for us. It says, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which in which is the sea of Tiberius. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish. Oh, sorry. To, yeah, to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill... He told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Okay. So there's a lot here. So we're going to narrow in and think about together what this miracle is supposed to reveal about Jesus. What do we learn about Jesus here? This is what we should be asking ourselves. Every time Jesus is performing a miracle, we should be asking, what does this reveal about him? If you remember in the the previous passage, in chapter 5, verse 36, Jesus says that the miracles he's been doing, they bear witness about him, that the Father has sent him. In chapter 10, verse 25, Jesus says that the works he does bears witness about who he is. And in chapter 14, 11, Jesus says his miracles reveal that he and the Father are one, that Jesus is God. Finally, you have the purpose statement of the book, which is, who knows, the purpose statement of this book. Yeah, yep, so that you may believe. All the way over in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, I'm gonna read it for you. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, and these is the signs. The signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name so john tells us straight up at the end of the book these miracles reveal who jesus is the christ the son of god and he wants you to believe that very thing about jesus so whenever we see his miracles we should be asking ourselves every time what do i learn about god what do i learn about who jesus is so what do we learn about god from this miracle What do we learn about Jesus from this miracle? As Nick Roark loves to say, here's the bottom line up front, bluff, okay? Here's the bottom line up front. We learn that Jesus is the king who provides for his people, but he doesn't just provide anything, he provides eternal life. This is what we learn about Jesus from this miracle, Jesus is the king that provides for his people, but he he provides eternal life. Let me show you how we know all of that. To start, Jesus tells us that that is what the miracle reveals. Makes it really easy, right? Jesus tells us that. Now, we'll dive deeper into this in the next midweek, but in verses 22 through 71, Jesus is interpreting this sign, this miracle that we're looking at today. And there, Jesus tells us that the people there should not be working for a food that perishes, but this sign points to the fact that Jesus himself offers a food which endures to eternal life. And then he reveals that that food is himself. He is the bread of life. He offers eternal life in himself. So he calls everyone to come to him For life. This sign revealed what Jesus offers all those who come to him life giving, all satisfying bread. Now let's think about that for a second. Let's do a short meditation on food. We need food to survive. If you don't eat food, you will eventually die. God did not just randomly make us. To need food God in his grace towards us made us to need food so that we would have a daily reminder that we need him he tells us that we don't live on bread alone but every word that comes from the mouth of God and when we eat we can be reminded that we have a bread that came down from heaven for us to satisfy us forever to offer us eternal life. So, next time you're slamming down that fat patty mount from Waterburger, step back and take a moment. Take a moment to think and remember that in Christ, you have something far more satisfying a bread from heaven that gives you eternal life. But that's not all Jesus. Is, is saying about this miracle. He also points out that this work he is doing, this eternally satisfying, this life-producing bread that he gives was foretold of in the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of it. Jesus says the manna in the wilderness given to Israel is pointing to him. All the way back in Exodus and in the Numbers. And before we even go to those stories, if we look carefully at this story that we're reading today, John is is working hard to show us that, to show us that Jesus is the fulfillment of these stories in the Old Testament. So you can start by looking back in chapter 5, just before our passage. Jesus tells us that the Jews had placed their hope in Moses, but Moses was writing about Jesus. Jesus. Moses wanted them to believe in Jesus. And so what does John do next to help those who have wrongly placed their hope in Moses to believe in Jesus? Well, he writes down this miracle, painting Jesus as a better Moses. Just a brief look through this will be sufficient. If you look through this, Jesus crosses a sea with crowds following him, similar to the Exodus. And he goes up on a mountain, just like Moses went up on Mount Sinai. The Passover is at hand, which is a huge indicator of what John's trying to do here. And then he miraculously provides bread for his people, just like uh, what happened with Moses and Israel in the wilderness. John is telling the story, showing that Jesus is doing the same work as Moses did But on an infinitely larger scale, which we'll see here in a little bit. So, if we look at the Old Testament passages, we can learn more about what Jesus is doing, what his work is. You don't need to flip there, I'll, I'll read them for you. But in Exodus 16, Israel is in the wilderness after they have been brought out of slavery from Egypt, and they begin to complain. They begin to complain. They say they are going to starve out there. They wish they could go back to Egypt, back into slavery. So God provided manna for them to eat every single day besides the Sabbath day. For 40 years, God sustained them this way. It says in Exodus 16.35, "...the people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years." till they came to a habitable land they ate manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan this is the work of Jesus this is what Jesus is doing but it's even more glorious and it's even more profound we have the same promises but much better As we wander through the wilderness in our lives, we have been promised in Christ that we too will be brought to the promised land. That is sure. A land where there is no pain, where there is no suffering, where there are no tears. A land where we will dwell with our God and God with us. And while we go through the wilderness, Jesus offers himself as a satisfying bread. A life-giving, sustaining bread. He will sustain us. He will bring us to the promised land. It is sure. Friends, if you're in Christ, this is a promise to you. As we sojourn through this earth, waiting to be at our heavenly home we will be satisfied in Christ. We will be brought back to God. If you eat the manna God is offering you, you will be satisfied. You will be sustained. You will be brought home. It is sure. If you feast on Jesus, it will be life-producing. And look at this miracle. He offers it freely And abundantly. The people, it says in verses 11 and 12, ate as much as they wanted. They ate their fill. And then there were 12 baskets of leftovers, signifying that Jesus can provide for all of the children of Abraham, for all 12 tribes of Israel. So while I was studying this passage, I decided to use Google to help me out. I asked Google, how much food do I need to feed 5,000 people? And Google helpfully brought me a cooking for a crowd calculator. So I entered in 5,000 people, and this is what it spit out. It said to feed 5,000 people, you'll need 1,873.7 pounds of protein. You need 1,109.2 pounds of vegetables. You need 1,157.4 pounds of starch. You need 771.6 pounds of lettuce. <laughs> I don't understand that one. You need 661.4 pounds of bread. And you need, best of all, 1,093.8 pounds of dessert. And then you can fully satisfy a crowd of 5,000 people. That's all you need, a few thousand pounds of food. (laughs) Friends, your Savior needed, sorry, used five loaves of bread and two fish to fully satisfy this crowd. And notice, I used the word used instead of needed five loaves, And two fish. Because Jesus is the Word who was in the beginning, who was with God and was God, and by Him all things were made. Jesus could have simply spoken, and that crowd would have been satisfied. Please know that your God is not a stingy God, He does not withhold from His children. If you seek Him, you will find him. If you knock, the door will be opened. He gives good gifts. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you believe that? Do you believe that about your God? Or do you think God is withholding from you? Or maybe you believe that you're missing out whenever you obey God. That's not what this miracle reveals to us. That's not what this reveals to us. Those Old Testament stories warn us about this. They warn us about ourselves. The story of God providing manna in the wilderness to Israel does not end well. In Numbers eleven four four through six, you have that printed in your handout. It says, now the rabble was among them, uh, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost us nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. God forgive us how often we look at Jesus and grumble to God. Is this all? We have nothing to look at but this. God help us to see that, to see Jesus as he is. Help us to see that he is all satisfying, he is life-giving. The Israelites grumbled. They wanted to go back to slavery, forgetting that, as it says in Exodus 1, they were afflicted with heavy burdens, oppressed, and ruthlessly made to work as slaves. Guys, we do the same thing. Brad just preached on this. He just preached on this not long ago, and he said, uh, that we so often live our lives the same way. We so often look back to slavery after Jesus has brought us out of that slavery, which was bondage to sin. And we think fondly of it. We only remember the sweet things of it, forgetting, just as Israel did, that sin ruthlessly makes us work as its slaves that it oppresses us, that it afflicts us with heavy burdens. The Israelites wanted to go back because they had meat and melons and cucumbers and other stuff, but they forgot the cost. It cost them their lives. They were slaves. They were miserable. It's the same with us. Jesus clearly through this miracle offers himself to us but instead of feasting on this bread that he offers us, we look back. We look back on the things of the world for satisfaction, forgetting the cost. It cost us our lives, we were slaves, we were dead. What are the ways that even tonight you are looking back? to find satisfaction in something other than your God? What ways are you, re- temp- are you tempted to return to Egypt, to return to uh, your vomit like a dog, forgetting that you are enslaving yourself? Is it partying, using drugs or excessive alcohol? Is it relationships you're trying to find satisfaction in? Do you turn to porn for satisfaction, not knowing that it will be a cruel taskmaster over you? Or what about praise, the praise of your friends and family? Do you run to that? Or is it a certain size dress or a certain weight bench press? You name it, we look back. We run to anything but God. To be satisfied. Friends, all of those things fail us. More importantly, all of those things offend God. You were not made to be satisfied by those things, they will enslave you, they will require your life, they give you death. Jesus said those who ate the manna in the wilderness died. But all those who eat his flesh will have eternal life. That's what Jesus tells us. Jesus offers himself freely and abundantly, a wellspring of life, eternally satisfying. Come and see your all-satisfying Savior. Taste and see your life-giving bread from heaven. Look out this window as much as much as you can. Look out this window of the word. Spend time with God in prayer. Spend time with God's people. Meditate on God's word and be blessed. Because where else would we go? How else will we be satisfied? Jesus has the words of eternal life. So go to him. Jesus is your providing king. That gets us to our next point, which is point number two. And don't worry, these points are shorter. Jesus, the misinterpreted king, in verses 14 through 15. I'll read them for us. When the people saw the sign that had... Uh, sorry, when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Again, it's helpful here to uh, know the Old Testament background. It says, this is indeed the, the prophet who is coming in into the world. The prophet that people are referring to is a prophecy of Moses in Deuteronomy 18. There, Moses says that God will raise up a prophet that will be like himself. This prophet will be like Moses. And Moses was a leader of God's people. He was a kingly figure. Who led God's people out of slavery to the edge of the promised land? With that in mind, these people in the story rightly applied this prophecy to Jesus because they did what we just did. They understood all the allusions uh, to Jesus being like Moses and how he was doing a work like Moses by miraculously providing bread for all these people. But John tipped us off at the beginning of this passage that these people would miss the point. Did you catch it in verse 2? It says, And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. This should remind us of all the way back to chapter 2, verse 23 through 25, where the people believe Jesus because of the signs that he's doing, but they don't believe enough about Jesus, so Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them. It's the same here, it's the same here. These people fall short in their understanding of who Jesus is and their belief of who Jesus is. They thought Jesus was coming to do a work just like Moses, but Jesus didn't come to do a work just like Moses. Rather, he came to do a better work Moses, that was going to be like Moses' work. This work is not only physical, but also primarily spiritual. Jesus did not come to take Israel out of the snare of their Roman captors. He came to defeat a much greater enemy, a much stronger taskmaster, and that being sin and death. Your greatest problems in life is not your next test coming up or friends who leave you out or hurt you or a rocky relationship or annoying parents, you name it. Your greatest problem in life is you. The greatest, your greatest problem in life is your sin. You see, the, the people misinterpreted what Jesus had come to do. They think their biggest problem is they are being oppressed by the Romans. But what they don't see is there is a far greater problem that Jesus has come to rescue them from. He's come to rescue them from their sin, from the wrath of God. Friends, this should be a comfort to us. It should be a comfort because this problem that you have sinned against God and will rightly bear his wrath for eternity, has been solved in Christ. In Christ, our eternity has been sealed. These other problems in our our life last a day, maybe a week, months, years, or maybe even a lifetime. But even that is far too small to compare to our eternity. Knowing all this, notice how Jesus responds to them by trying, uh, by, to them by, sorry, how Jesus responds to them trying to make him king. He withdrew. He withdrew from them and went to the mountain by himself. The people have missed something about Jesus. They've misinterpreted this king. Jesus shows why he avoids this throne they offer him as he corrects their understanding of who he is in the next passage in our next point, which is Jesus, the true king, in verses 16 through 21. So I'll read that for us now. It says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the Sea of Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them, The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Okay, So if we step back, if we take a step back here and look at this whole passage, including the stuff we'll go over next week, so all of chapter 6, it might seem random almost to have this part dropped in, Jesus walking on water. Because Jesus performs this miracle of feeding the 5,000, and Jesus interprets the miracle then in, in uh, verses 22 through 71, but in between, we have this short story of Jesus Walking on water. But this helps us to interpret how the people responded to Jesus earlier. John is trying to show us something, and Jesus is trying to teach us something about himself in light of all these people misinterpreting who he is. So the disciples are, are heading to the other side of the sea, and they're, they're there on the sea, and there are strong winds and big waves. And as they're struggling to row against these waves, through the spray of the waves hitting the boat, they see something their eyes can't believe. There's a man walking on water, walking over the waves toward them, and they're terrified. And notice too, in the passage, it wasn't the wind and the waves that it says they were terrified about. It was the sight of Jesus walking on water that terrified them jesus seeing this terror comforts them with these universe shaking words he says it is i do not be afraid this is huge this is huge in in the greek this is ego eimi Everyone say Ego ami" with me. One, two, three. Ego me. Flawless. Okay, Ego ami" can be more directly translated, I am. Does that remind you of anything? It's the name of God revealed to Moses in Exodus 3. It's Yahweh. Jesus takes the name of God and applies it to himself. He is the I am. No wonder it says the disciples were glad to take him into the boat because Jesus is revealing to them that he is Yahweh in the flesh. He can walk on the water because his very breath spoke the molecules into existence. He is the Word that was in the beginning, and all things were made through him. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God himself. So to tie the people misinterpreting who Jesus is uh, in the last point to what Jesus is doing to correct them now, Jesus is saying the king you guys are trying to make me is far too small. The throne that they offer him is infinitely less powerful infinitely less authoritative, infinitely less glorious. It would be an injustice, an insult, a lie for Jesus to take the throne that they offer him. Jesus is saying, I am. He says, I am the true king. I am the king of the universe, the son of God. His throne is a heavenly throne, not given to him by the hands of men, but by the very hand of the Father himself. His throne is eternal, is all-powerful, is authoritative. The earth and all of creation is his footstool. That's why Jesus withdrew to the mountain, because they thought far too lowly of Jesus. This, friends, is your savior. This is your gentle savior who comes to you to take you by the hand, to lead you, to guide you, to sustain you. He will satisfy you. He will bring you to himself. He will bring you to the promised land, as we talked about earlier. And he will not fail. Why? Because he's the sovereign God of the universe. He's the true king. The kings of this world wage war against flesh and blood. But your king waged war against the spiritual forces of evil and every temptation and prevailed. He was victorious every time, never sinning once. The kings of this world fight for power and authority by taking life. Your king received all power and all authority by laying down his life on our behalf. The kings of this world die and disintegrate in their graves. Your king rose from the dead and sits enthroned even now, right now. The kings of this world lose their kingship and their kingdoms burn to the ground. But your king sits enthroned forever and his kingdom will never end. This is your king, the true king. So go to him. Believe in him. Turn from your sin and follow him. In him, we find true life. In him, we receive eternal life. In him, you are abundantly satisfied. Where else would we go? Why would we leave him? Who else can satisfy? He has the words of eternal life. He is the true king, the Christ, the Son of God. So go to him. Taste and see and be satisfied. Let's pray. Father, you are glorious. You are mighty. And we thank you for revealing that to us in your word. God, we pray that we wouldn't miss it that we would see your glory, that we would be in all of you, that we would love you. God, help us to live lives that honor you, that love others. God, help us to believe who Jesus reveals himself to be, our true king, the Christ, the Son of God. God, we need your help. Soften our hearts.